History of Weaponry and Warfare, Part 2. We had a bit of a sudden edit to cut the episode in two for our Parts 1 and 2 last week, and we came to a sudden end at about the time when gunpowder was invented. Uh, apologies for that, um, and I'd also like to apologise for the uh, lack of real chronology in the part that you're about to listen to now. Um, we seem to go from sort of guns to machine guns and then back to stirrups, um, and also we didn't really cover very much in either part one or two about the history of naval warfare, but we do have quite a big long debate about nuclear weapons today which is uh, quite interesting I hope. I would urge you all to go and visit our website if you're listening to this on one of your devices ourhistorypodcast.com we've got some lovely pictures up I've even managed to get hold of some pictures of my friend Tom's dad's full-sized siege trebuchet that he built quite a while ago which I saw in action uh, and was quite a thing to behold and fits in nicely with the trebuchet discussion that we had from last week. Um, I'll try and fade us in where we left off picking up when uh, gunpowder is about to come in. I hope you enjoy part two. Something else that's quite interesting about gunpowder was that it suddenly meant that everybody had to remake all their castles. Because <laughs> pre-gunpowder, as we were saying about trebuchets and, and catapults and stuff, um, you, what you, uh, it was quite hard to knock down a wall with a trebuchet. Um, but obviously really quite easy with a cannon. Um, and so the old castles, the import, what they had was very tall walls because what they wanted to do was stop people climbing over the walls. That's the worst thing you could possibly have if you've got cannons, are tall walls, because what you do is you just, they were tall and thin walls, so you just batter the bottom of the, of the wall. Yeah, and then everything comes yeah, falling and down. And come falling down more quickly. Um, On everyone. Yeah. And so there was a French king who went through um, Italy and basically just destroyed all the, <laughs> all the castles as he marched down to Naples. Um, because he had a load of cannons. But it was amazing. Within 50 years, everyone had rebuilt all their castles, built new castles, designed totally new castles where they had big fat walls and a bit lower. And they had all these bastions around the, the castle so that you could shoot at the, at the cannons and you could have cannons yourself in your castle and blow up the enemy's cannons. Um, right, so that's... Um, Guns, gunpowder, cannons, etc. Um, what was the next big thing? <sighs> Rifles. Rifles, rifling. In the Napoleonic Wars? Yeah. Because exactly. they would have been more accurate, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. Because before it was just a straight bullet which would come out. Yeah. But then in that the bullet was spinning yeah. inside the gun. Yeah. That's a rifling, exactly. Mm. And so that's where, you know, where with muskets, what they would basically do is you wouldn't aim at somebody. You'd just have loads of people holding their muskets and just shoot volleys. Um, whereas with rifling, you could actually aim at individual targets a lot better. Mm. Um, and um, the sort of rifle brigades in the Napoleonic Wars and then really a lot in the American Civil Wars. And that's when they started doing things like shooting officers. Um, because you could aim at an individual officer. Mm. That's where it got really democratic. So rifling was very important for, again, making that distance between armies even bigger. Mm. About what you said about shooting officers. Yeah. 
But now they would shoot officers before they actually went into the, the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. They would hire some assassins ah. with snipers on top of a building. Yeah. Look through a window. And That's what they did a lot in the Battle of Stalingrad. There's some quite famous films um, about snipers in the Battle of Stalingrad, and they would mm-hmm. go around crawling around and shoot the, the, the most senior officers they could see. In the First World War, the worst casualties were by lieutenants and captains because they were the ones that were always targeted by the snipers. Um, and they, you know, even though there were fewer of them than privates and corporals, there were loads, loads of them killed, very dangerous to be in. And also they were the ones who had to go over the top from the trenches first. Um, well, actually, that, that's, that's quite an interesting thing to get to, is, is what happened in the First World War um, was the development of the machine gun. Yes. Um, Wasn't that to reduce casualties? The machine gun? I heard, um, I went on a school trip a few years ago. Yeah. And we were told that the machine gun was actually made to reduce casualties by some army guy. Uh, well, I mean, I suppose it re- reduced casualties on your side. Because <laughs> you had one guy with a machine gun could kill 100. Yeah, in the First World War, that's when it really came out. Yeah. Because I remember seeing Warhorse. Yeah. And the massive charge. Yeah. Um, in it. Where they just kind of charged at the enemy in the forest. But yeah. and there was just one guy and they just got completely massacred. Yeah. So he just had a machine gun. And he was just... Yeah. So, I mean, that was the real end of the cavalry. Mm. Um, I mean, the cavalry had been sort of becoming less and less effective as soon as guns came into into um, play because people tried to sort of give cavalry people, um, cavalry soldiers, guns, but that never really quite worked because, you know, it was always impossible for... If a load of uh, soldiers had guns, it was impossible for the cavalry to charge them, which is what happened a lot in the Battle of Waterloo, talking about the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, so the First World War, um, that was why it was such a stalemate, because they basically, you know, you had all the trenches defended by machine guns. And no-one wanted to go over. No. Because if, if you ever go over... Yeah, so you go over the top and they get absolutely mown down. We haven't watched that yet, actually, but the um, First World War Blackadders. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen a bit of those. They yeah. were on Netflix, but then you kind of just lost them. Yeah, but the, 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 the final scene is really tragic, even though it's a comedy. It, it's them going over the top and you just know they're all going to get killed. As a bit of an aside, sorry to keep going off on funnier sides, but one thing I did want to talk about were things like, which are sort of non-weapons. Um, and I think we mentioned earlier stirrups. Stirrups are my favourite non-weapons, which are very important in warfare. Mm. Um, because they actually change the um, face of uh, the cavalry or they change the effectiveness of the, of the cavalry. Because, I mean, you ride, don't you? So you can imagine you're far more stable on your pony if you've got stirrups than if you haven't got stirrups. And imagine if you had to have a lance and charge at someone. I don't like trotting without stirrups. <laughs> Let alone galloping. Yeah. <laughs> with galloping with only one hand on the reins, one holding a massive heavy lance. Yeah. And obviously if you stuck it into something, yeah. you could easily be pushed off the back of your horse, pony, in your case. Um, but the... Uh, 
but stirrups gave them a lot of uh, gave um, horsemen a lot more stability. Um, and I, I don't know when the stirrups were. Did we find out when stirrups were developed? Let me just pause and consult the internet. And the internet says that by about the eighth century, stirrups became uh, began to be adopted more widely in Europe. Um, I'm looking at Wikipedia, obviously. But anyway, so that was my little aside about um, stirrups. And the reason I was having a little aside about stirrups because we were talking about non-weapons. And one of the big non-weapons in the First World War was barbed wire. Mm. Yes. They used lots and lots of barbed wire um, to protect the trenches. Mm. I was reading one of the lines Yeah, because it means... Like, because barbed wire, it'd be hard to actually kill someone, barbed wire. Yeah. It would take a long time. Yeah. Um, but, like, they tried to climb over into the trench. Yeah. While everyone's sleeping, say. Yeah. Um, and then, but then they'll get stuck. Yeah. That's all, like, and, and then by the time, like, they try, they manage to get out, which is unlikely, they'll either mm. get out, bleed to death. Yeah. Or get spotted and shot. Yeah. Most likely, the last one. Yeah. And they all got sort of tangled up in the barbed wire. It was awful. It was really tragic. Mm. Um, and obviously that would stop a mass charge. Yeah. So if they were going to do... And, you know, the Battle of, of the Somme, mm-hmm. the British artillery was supposed to have completely destroyed the barbed wire. Yeah. But they hadn't. So when they got to, you know, they got to the trenches, they couldn't get to attack the German trenches mm. because of all the barbed wire was still there. Some places, I was reading the other day, that the barbed wire could be sort of 50 uh, metres wide between... So you imagine trying to just battle through all of that barbed wire. It's horrible. 50 metres, like, from there to there? Mm. Not 50 metres up. No, no. 50 but 50 metres from... Yeah. So you had to get through 50 metres of... Barbed wire, yeah. So we were at the First World War, um, and then what was one of the big developments in the First World War was... Um, <laughs> tanks. Yes. Engines. I thought that was World War Two. Well, no, the, the, no, the first tanks were invented in World War One. Um, in fact, so engines weren't they called tanks to make the Germans think that oh, they had received a new kind of water supply. Yeah. Water tanks. It was a sort of code name. Yeah. Um, to confuse the Germans. Um, yeah, so I mean, the tanks were, I think, first introduced in about 1916. Uh, they were used in the Battle of Somme, but they didn't really know how to use them properly. They were pretty rubbish, um, mm. but they did make a massive difference because suddenly it. it the barbed wire. You could go over the barbed wire, you could go over trenches. It was, you know, people could follow you, the, the infantry could follow a tank that was crushing the barbed wire mm. um, and get through to the trenches like that. So that sort of reopened the battlefield again. So where, you know, the First World War was two lines of trenches facing each other. Suddenly with tanks, everything could get mobile again. And obviously Hitler was the guy who um, really knew, exploited the use of tanks in his blitzkriegs. You know, so that was the really fast-moving armies that invaded France in 1940. Um, so it had loads of tanks, loads of um, aircraft, because um, yeah, so engines were a massive development during the First World War, really. Yeah, because that like the most modern tank. Yeah. Is just <laughs> in World War Two that yeah. would win the war. 
One other little aside I want to talk about with engines. Yeah. Um, when the when the French were when the Germans were invading France in 1914, the French army was actually mobilised by taxis. So it was one of the first sort of um, use of engines to move a whole army. Um, and they, they got the loads of soldiers out of Paris and got all taxi. the taxi taxi <laughs> got all the taxi drivers to drive them to the front. Um, <laughs> taxi, where do you like to go? Can I please go into the trench? Yeah, there weren't trenches yet. No. no. But can I go to the battlefront? <laughs> what? No, you're crazy. <laughs> no, they, no they was, um, the, the, all the French taxi drivers really sort of rallied to the call. It's a bit like the story of Dunkirk, you know, where the small... Do you know Did that they? story? No, Dunkirk. No. So. Oh, yeah, isn't it? Where they got a load of cardboard planes and cardboard tanks. No, that's D-Day. D-Day no, no, Dunkirk was... So, you know, we were talking about the Blitz, Blitzkrieg. So the Germans invaded France really, really quickly. And there was a small British army still in, in France. Yeah. Um, and they got pushed back to the sea. And they were basically getting completely destroyed on the beaches, mm-hmm. trying to escape back to England. But lots of tiny little boats, sailing ships and all this sort of thing crossed the channel to pick up all the army. Um, so, moving on from general uh, land-based engines, we have obviously got um, the next big development were planes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. They, those, that, it was a very airborne war, World War II, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, if you, I mean, because basically in the First World War, planes could only, well, at the beginning they were just used for spotting. Yeah. Um, so they would fly over and there that. were a few, like, didn't you hear the things about like, the Red Baron when yeah. he first World War? Yes, and then so by the end of the First World War, the planes were fighting each other. Yes. Um, but yeah, right but at the no beginning. No bombing. No, very little bombing. There was well, no, there was, you could technically just put a bomb in the plane and you could drop it. Drop it out, yeah. Yeah, but not actually anything like World War II. Yeah. You can kind of press a button and yeah. it'd fall out. And drop mass bombs. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the development of bombing cities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about that. Do you remember we went to see that painting, the Guernica in yes. Madrid? Yes. Um, and that was very much um, one of the first times that the aircraft bombed uh, a town. Um, and it was a horrific painting, wasn't it? Mm. So it was a Picasso painting. Um, showing this bomb, this mm. city being bombed, and there was cows and horses all screaming at people, and um, and you know, so Hitler in the Spanish Civil War was practicing all the blitzkrieg that he was going to use later in the in the Second World War. Yes. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So as you said, the Second World War was very much a, a airplane fueled war. Mm. Um, and th- and a very naval war towards the end. Ah, yes. With the Americans and the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. We haven't mentioned navies for the, mm. the whole thing because the Americans against the Japanese that was classed as World War Two, wasn't it? Oh, very its much. Its own little so. war. Yeah, well, it was an, its own massive war. We, yes. We kind of forget about it um, that. It, well, in our in British history, it's, it's not the one that's talked about so much. No, but it was massive and very very important, mm. um, and that was very much, as you say, a naval war and very much actually a aircraft carrier war. 
Mm. So that the, and that was what one of the things that um, won that war was the fact that the Americans could produce ships and particularly aircraft carriers mm. um, much much more efficiently than the Japanese could, or more quickly, because obviously there's much more industry in America than Japan at the time it was. And I, I read a statistic that they, <clears throat> in one year, the Americans produced twenty aircraft carriers, and the Japanese only produced five. So that's why the, the, the I think his name was Admiral Yamamoto, one of the Japanese admirals, and he said basically we're not, we can never win this war because we're fighting this war against American factories, not just American soldiers. And that brings us to speaking of the Japanese war, the, the, the war against Japan, the nuclear bomb, the nuclear bomb, yes, and that changed absolutely everything. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, what do you know about the nuclear bomb? It's a bomb, mm-hmm. which is run on nuclear power, mm-hmm. and it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And where was it first dropped? Hiroshima? Yeah. Was that the first one? And yep. then Nagasaki. And then Nagasaki, yep. People still died from the nuclear bomb, even three years after yeah. it had landed, because yeah. of the radiation it left. Yeah. Really? It's horrible. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so to begin with, it was just the Americans had the nuclear bomb. Um, and it was just a bomb. Yeah. And actually, there were worse incidents during the Second World War than either Hiroshima or Nagasaki. The bombing of Dresden or the bombing of Hamburg or Coventry mm. probably killed more The scary more people. thing is, Donald Trump now... Wait, wait. Let's okay. hold on, Donald. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, so there, there were times actually more people were killed by conventional non-nuclear bombs. But that was hundreds and hundreds of bombs dropped on one city, whereas Nagasaki and Hiroshima were one bomb each. Mm. Um, but then that all that technology moved very quickly. So to begin with, it was Americans just had that technology and nobody else. And then the Russians. Then the Russians got it. Um, and then they developed hydrogen bombs, which were even more powerful than the atomic bombs. Mm. Um, but still run on nuclear power. Yes, it's not actually run on nuclear power. No. It's a nuclear explosion. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't... That's the mushroom cloud. Yeah. And I couldn't really tell you exactly how it works, but it's a chain reaction. So when a nuclear... Well, a nuclear reaction happens, it's like lots and lots of things happening very, very quickly. Um, and so that creates a, a bomb. But I, I can tell you the physics of it exactly. You'll be pleased to hear that your father's not a nuclear bomb maker. <laughs> and then the well missiles mm. because that's very important so the first mis- do you know what the first missiles were well, the first well the first missiles would have been uh, catapults oh right, yes ballista those, yeah those were missiles exactly mm. yeah um, okay the first self-propelled missiles laser no they wouldn't be laser guided no would it I've been the ones in Cuba. No, oh gosh. Um, no, it would have been earlier than that. Yes, right at the end of the first, uh, the right at the end of the Second World War, uh, German uh, scientists developed the V one rockets and the V two yes. rockets, um, and they they were used to to bomb London, and also they were used to bomb Rotterdam or somewhere in Holland. Once the once the uh, British and American armies had got to, to the continent. During the Cold War between Russia and America, that they worked out how to put 
nuclear bombs. on the moon. Well, no, 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 they haven't done that yet. No, but <laughs> no, they could. They could put nuclear missiles on the moon. But no, what I was going to say was they worked out how to put nuclear warheads on the end of missiles. Yes. So that is, you know, going back to our sort of thinking about distance between armies. If you can actually shoot a missile, and then they, they develop these intercontinental ballistic missiles that could fire in seconds between... America and Russia and Russia and America. Um, and that you know, was the greatest distance you can possibly imagine, where you can fire right across continents, um, fire your missiles. It's ghastly. And then I think, well, really, that brings us to really going on with this distance thing, uh, drones. Yes. Yeah. Are they being used a lot in Syria? Not they? Um, yes, I think so. Because um, you could just kind of sit on a desk and... Have a little camera and just fly the drone yeah. along and drop a bomb. Yeah. So you could be in Nevada, I think, quite a lot of the, the pilots, they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, but So they are totally unmanned. So the difference between a nuclear missile, I think, is that, you know, a nuclear missile, you shoot it at a target and it goes to that target. Mm. Whereas a drone, you can actually fly it. Yes. So you can decide to go one place and you can have a look to see what you want to drop your bomb on. You can drop it there or there. Um, and that really is taking the distance thing to its absolute maximum um, because you're, you, you're thousands of miles away from the people you're fighting. Mm. But we're also with a drone, it's different from a missile because you're also thousands of miles away from where you're actually launching the weapon. When the missile, you launch it where the missile is to the place. But with a drone, you can be anywhere, press a launch button. Mm. Well, no, but I don't know how far the drones can fly. I mean, I think the drones must leave from somewhere relatively close to yes, their targets. Yes. That's, that's, that's what I meant. Yeah. But the person will still be... The flyer, the, the pilot is yeah. miles away. Yeah. Uh, yes, and you, you had something about um, when laser-guided missiles were... Mm. What do you know about those? Well, they were invented by in the Vietnam War. Right. Between America and Vietnam. Yeah. Um, but they weren't really used much until the Gulf War. Yeah, that was when they started talking about smart weapons. It was uh, well, this gets political, but um, the idea was that the American weapons were so smart they would only kill um, soldiers and they wouldn't have any civilian casualties. Mm. So you know, where during the Second World War you were just bombing civilians, now the smart technology meant that you could target exactly who you wanted to kill um, and not kill any um, what they what they call collateral damage which is killing civilians mm. but it's rubbish they've still bombed weddings in Afghanistan and that kind of thing and um, they're not that smart after all so you want to talk about Trump yeah because if you think about it now with the power that a nuclear missile has mm. he could he could blow up Syria from the White House yeah and, it's in the whole of Syria. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I've been listening to lots of podcasts recently. Um, there's a very good one by Dan Carlin all about uh, nuclear weapons and the development mm. of nuclear weapons. I'll put some references. The sort of debates that they had about who should control nuclear weapons, because obviously until um, the 20th century, generals were the people in charge of weapons. But then they realised that nuclear weapons were a different type of thing altogether, and you couldn't leave 
you, you wanted to have an elected president, not a general, who made the ultimate decision that they should fire a nuclear weapon because it was so devastating. <laughs> but then you get somebody like Trump in power, <laughs> and it's maybe it should have been in the general's hands all along. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, you know, in, when I was young, it really felt like there was going to be a nuclear war between Russia and um, America, and that was going to be the end of the world. It was, you know, we live with that. Um, and those weapons still exist. They've reduced them a lot. Um, but we just still... There are less of them, but they're probably more powerful. And, you know, the problem is, as you mentioned, is the fallout. Um, it, it, you're not just radiation and so on. You're not just... You can't just destroy one country. Yeah, it's not like you launch a nuclear missile, which you're planning to destroy the country yeah. that you launch it at, and just destroy the country. Yeah. You're going to devastate the borders. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be like it spreads and the radiation will just overreach the border and go, oh, stop, yeah. stop. I mean, we, we're recording this in April 2017 mm. and um, there is a threat of a new, possible threat of a nuclear war with North Korea. Well, just today, um, the vice president said, you know, don't push Trump. And the, the what's his name? Kim Jong... Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Um, you know, if he continues developing nuclear weapons, Trump might fire nuclear weapons at him. And if he fires them, then Kim Jong-un will fire them back. Well, he can't at the moment. That's that's the, yeah. the supposed thinking, is that... Um, Do it well. Before he, there, he's got any missiles that work properly. Mm. But what happens to South Korea? True. If you've just nuked North Korea, mm. what happens to South Korea? Yeah. It's horrible. Um, so how are we going to conclude this? Um, so we've gone from the uh, Stone Age to the Bronze Age to the Iron Age to the Sausage <laughs> via the Sausage, um, and we've gone. We've been really looking at weapons in terms of distance, haven't we? So we've yes. got, um, you know, spears, bows and arrows, gunpowder, headbutting someone to yeah. launching a drone <laughs> to bomb. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite a very um, in, you know, it's a very decent way of, of looking at the history of warfare as armies have got further and further apart um, and there's a whole load of stuff that we could have discussed but I think we'll probably uh, leave it there for now and um, we're, we haven't thought about what we're going to do for our next one I feel like because this has been such a kind of stuff about war and killing what about healthcare healthcare cool I was thinking exactly the same so um, on to the next one the history of healthcare yeah goodbye Otto goodbye dad